The Blood Feud of Toad Water, a West Country Epic by Saki, H. H. Monroe, eighteen seventy to nineteen sixteen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Peter Tomlinson. The Cricks lived at Toadwater, and in the same lonely upland spot, fate had pitched the home of the Saunderesses, and for miles around these two dwellings there was never a neighbour or a chimney or even a burying-ground to bring a sense of cheerful communion of social intercourse. Nothing but fields and spinneys and barns, lanes and wastelands. Such was toad water, and, even so, toad water had its history. Thrust away in the benighted hinterland of a scattered market district, it might have been supposed that these two detached items of the great human family would have leaned towards one another in a fellowship begotten of kindred circumstances and a common isolation from the outer world. And perhaps it had been so once, but the way of things had brought it otherwise. Indeed otherwise. Fate, which had linked the two families in such unavoidable association of habitat, had ordained that the Crick household should nourish and maintain among its earthly possessions sundry head of domestic fowls, while to the Saunderesses was given a disposition towards the cultivation of garden crops. Herein lay the material ready to hand for the coming of feud and ill blood. For the grudge between the man of herbs and the man of livestock is no new thing. You will find traces of it in the fourth chapter of Genesis. And one sunny afternoon, in late springtime, the feud came, came, as such things mostly do come, with seeming aimlessness and triviality. One of the crick hens, in obedience to the nomadic instincts of her kind, wearied of her legitimate scratching ground, and flew over the low wall that divided the holdings of the neighbours. And there, on the yonder side, with a hurried consciousness that her time and opportunities might be limited, the misguided bird scratched and scraped and beaked and delved in the soft-yielding bed that had been prepared for the solace and well-being of a colony of seedling onions. Little showers of earth mould and root fibres went spraying before the hen and behind her, and every minute the area of her operations widened. The onions suffered considerably. Mrs Saunders, sauntering at this luckless moment down the garden path, in order to fill her soul with reproaches at the iniquity of the weeds, which grew faster than she or her good man cared to remove them, stopped in mute discomfiture before the presence of a more magnificent grievance, and then, in the hour of her calamity, she turned instinctively to the great mother, and gathered in her capacious hands large clods of the hard brown soil that lay at her feet. With a terrible sincerity of purpose, though with a contemptible inadequacy of aim, she rained her earth-bolts at the marauder, and the bursting pellets called forth a flood of cackling protest and panic from the hastily departing fowl. Calmness under misfortune is not an attribute 
of either henfolk or womankind and while mrs saunders declaimed over her onion bed such portions of the slang dictionary as are permitted by the nonconformist conscience to be said or sung the vasco da gamma fowl was waking the echoes of toad water with crescendo bursts of throat music which compelled attention to her griefs mrs crick had a long family and was therefore licensed in the eyes of her world to have a short temper and when some of her ubiquitous offspring had informed her with the authority of eyewitnesses that her neighbour had so far forgotten herself as to heave stones at her hen her best hen the best layer in the countryside her thoughts closed themselves in language unbecoming to a christian woman and so at least said mrs saunders to whom most of the language was applied nor was she on her part surprised at mrs crick's conduct in letting her hens stray into other bodies gardens and then abusing of them seeing as how she remembered things against mrs crick and the latter simultaneously had recollections of lurking episodes in the past of susan saunders that were nothing to her credit fond memory when all things fade we fly to thee and in the paling light of an april afternoon the two women confronted each other from their respective sides of the party wall recalling with shuddering breaths the blots and blemishes of their neighbour's family record there was that aunt of mrs crick's who had died a pauper in exeter workhouse everyone knew that mrs saunders uncle on her mother's side had drunk himself to death and then there was that bristol cousin on mrs crick's from the shrill triumph with which his name was dragged in his crime must have been pilfering from a cathedral at least but as both remembrances were speaking at once it was difficult to distinguish his infamy from the scandal which beclouded the memory of mrs saunders brother's wife's mother who may have been a regicide and was certainly not a nice person as mrs crick painted her and then with an air of accumulating an irresistible conviction each belligerent informed the other that she was no lady after which they withdrew in a great silence feeling that nothing further remained to be said the chaffinches clinked in the apple-trees and the bees droned round the berberis bushes and the warning sunlight slanted pleasantly across the garden plots but between the neighbourhood households had sprung up a barrier of hate permeating and permanent the male heads of the families were necessarily drawn into the quarrel and the children on either side were forbidden to have anything to do with the unhallowed offspring of the other party as they had to travel a good three miles along the same road to school every day this was awkward but such things have to be thus all communication between the households was sundered except the cats much as mrs saunders might deplore it rumour persistently pointed to the crick he-cat as the presumable father of sundry kittens of which the saunders she-cat was indisputably the mother mrs saunders drowned the kittens but the disgrace remained summer succeeded spring and winter summer but the feud outlasted the waning seasons once indeed it seemed as though the healing influences of religion 
might restore to Toadwater its erstwhile peace. The hostile families found themselves side by side in the soul-kindling atmosphere of a revival tea, where hymns were blended with a beverage that came of tea leaves and hot water and took after the latter parent, and where ghostly counsel was tempered by garnishings of solidly fashioned buns, and here, wrought up by the environment of festive piety, Mrs. Saunders so far unbent as to remark guardedly to Mrs. Crick that the evening had been a fine one. Mrs. Crick, under the influence of her ninth cup of tea and a fourth hymn, ventured on the hope that it might continue fine, but a maldroit allusion on the part of the Saunders good man to the backwardness of garden crops brought the feud stalking forth from its corner with all its old bitterness. Mrs. Saunders joined heartily in the singing of the final hymn, which told of peace and joy and archangels and golden glories, but her thoughts were dwelling on the pauper aunt of Exeter. Years have rolled away, and some of the actors in this wayside drama have passed into the unknown. Other onions have arisen, have flourished, have gone their way, and the offending hen has long since expiated her misdeeds and lain with trust feet and a look of ineffable peace under the arched roof of Barnstable Market. But the blood feud of Toadwater survives to this day. End of the Blood Feud of Toadwater, a West Country epic by Saki. Recording by Peter Tomlinson.